My name is Sanjeev Gupta and this is Socialism in the Time of Corona. In this podcast, I'm talking with people with deep experience in socialist and left politics, especially in the US. Our overarching question is, during this pandemic, how might we not only defend whatever gains we've made to this point, but actually advance them? Imagine living in a country where people trusted their national health experts uh, and the government generally, and they had high-quality universal health care as a constitutional right. Sounds pretty good, right? Certainly a vastly more civilized capitalism than we are cursed with here in the U.S., Sweden is such a country, one of the Nordic or Scandinavian countries generally described as social democracies. And yet, the infection and death rates per capita in Sweden are shockingly comparable to those in the US, as you can see from the link in the show notes. To help us sort through this puzzle, I turned to Stellan Windhagen, Endowed Chair in the Study of Nonviolent Direct Action and Civil Resistance and Professor of Sociology at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. He is also Professor in his native Sweden at the Department of Sociology and Work Science at the University of Gothenburg. His latest book is Conceptualizing Everyday Resistance, published by Rutledge in 2020. Wint Hagen has been active in several environmental, peace, and migrants' rights movements since 1980 and has participated in more than 30 nonviolent civil disobedience actions. He was one of the initiators of the Swedish Ship to Gaza in 2008, which was a coalition member of the Freedom Flotilla. Among those seized by the Israeli military in international waters in October 2012, he was subsequently jailed and deported from Israel. I began by asking Windhagen to describe the basic differences between the U.S.'s and Sweden's responses to the pandemic. There are very interesting differences. Sweden is a country where things are happening in a very centralized, coordinated way. Um, In the U.S., things are very much according to different states. Hmm. Um, In Sweden, it's not really the government uh, deciding the policy, although they, of course, do that ultimately. But uh, it's actually the health experts. Uh, They are the ones having the press conferences um, informing about uh, cases and uh, precautions. Okay. And then the government will take decisions on what what should be done, uh, what what is being asked of people. Um, So that's, again, a difference. It's, It's kind of the health experts that decide ultimately. But uh, then the third difference is that in Sweden, uh, people listen to uh, experts um, and the politicians. So if if they say, we recommend people to not travel, uh, then you will see that 
the travel patterns of people will be drastically redu- reduced, hmm. almost as if it would be a ban. Um, so there, there are <laughs> there are big differences, but I, I would say that the Swedish model has very much failed. If you look on it right now, because if you compare with Norway and Denmark, Finland, uh, the cases have been much. Um, much more in in Sweden and more um, very deadly as well. Yeah, that's right. And so, how how do we make sense of that? That uh, you know. So actually, your response raised two questions uh, for me. So one is, um, uh, you know, it's very interesting that pe- you you know you say that people are responsive to to what they hear from experts and the government yes. and you don't have so why why is that well that's that's an, a very important thing that americans need to understand about the the nordic model or scandinavian countries and that is that um, uh, there's a whole other understanding of the state and and the role of science hmm. uh, p- people trust the state particularly in Sweden, um, where never um, during the Second World War, the Nazis uh, were not not occupying Sweden. So we didn't have the experience as in Norway and Denmark. So the idea is that the state is is good and strong and it's building on on being um, based on on science and um, based on the rational decisions uh, that people trust. Hmm. So and and that's a difference even from Denmark and Norway. Um, I'm half Danish, so I can I can say something about the yeah. Danish situation. But um, I would say that yes, there's a difference between um, Denmark and Sweden in the way that Swedes are much more positive to the state and its regulations. Whereas in Denmark, it has always been much more um, continental, more liberal, more kind of skeptical to an interventionist uh, state. Um, But compared to the US, it's still, Denmark is still a country where they believe that the state is good. Hmm. And... So how do we make sense of the the much more sort of drastic outcomes in Sweden uh, in infection rates and and even in death rates? Um, uh, you know, so I know that initially, because the the government was not restrictive um, in the way other countries were, uh, things looked uh, you know looked really quite bad. Um, uh, so w- what is going on there? Why why did Sweden sort of take that that approach? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to reflect upon, um, and I think even more striking is that it's the Swedish decision is uh, exceptional. Um, very few countries I'm aware of in the world uh, made it like that. Hmm. And also, even more strikingly, is that there wasn't really a debate about it. Um, so I would say, and here we are only guessing, I, w- I would say that um, 
uh, my my take on this is that uh, it was because of the uh, the health experts in Sweden. They were convinced that um, with this type of virus and the Swedish situation, uh, it would be smart to have a herd uh, immunity strategy, hmm. meaning that uh, if people are cautious, um, but that we get many cases um, quickly, we will also develop immunity quickly. Hmm. Um, and it didn't prove out to work very well. Um, there's, there's another thing that is also curious here, and that is that they don't believe that masks is helping. Hmm. Um, actually, they're arguing against masks uh, because they say it creates a false uh, sense of security. Hmm. So you don't see people wearing masks in Sweden. It's very rare. Even so this is a, this is again a sign of of how people trust their their experts in Sweden. Uh, it's 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 a very different situation. So and and strangely, because of course here we deal with the opposite problem. Uh, it, it it might be the case that maybe Sweden would be better off if people were more suspicious. Right? I mean, if they had been more uh, sort of skeptical, uh, it seems like maybe the outcomes may have been, or at least if there had been a debate, uh, the the outcomes may have been different. Yes. Um, I, I agree. Um, it might be too early to say if the Swedish uh, model is, is a total failure or just partially a failure. We'll see when the pandemic is all over. But I agree with you. Um, and and to lift this beyond the pandemic, I would say that um, the more worrying problem for the American left uh, when looking at the Scandinavian model and something that people need to understand as a problem is that uh, the, the Scandinavian or Nordic model has developed um, a, a very positive view on the state. Hmm. And, and what does that mean when today... Uh, the second biggest party in Sweden is a neo-Nazi party. Hmm. It's not an it's not a, just a simple anti-immigration party. It's a neo-Nazi party. It's a party that uh, 15 years ago was marching in uniforms, making Hitler salutes. That was created by SS volunteers historically. Hmm. So. That party is the second biggest today. And what happens when they enter power, which they probably will do after next election or the election after that, if nothing drastically happens, when you have a population that is so positive to what the state is doing? Hmm. And when you say second largest, do you mean in terms of uh, uh, party membership? No, uh, vo voter support. Oh, support. voter support. Okay. Okay. In some, some opinion polls, they've even um, uh, surpassed the Social Democrats and become the biggest party uh, of support in, 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 in Sweden. Hmm. So why is that? How, how has it grown to, to, that, uh, to that point, you know, in a country like Sweden, where I think as well, you're in plan... Yeah, go ahead. I think it's a complex answer, uh, and I haven't. I have to say that to begin with, I haven't been doing research on the pandemic in Sweden or the Swedish um, right-wing populism. That hasn't been my focus. But 
um, my impression is this, that in, in Sweden and as in the Nordic countries that gave them these reputation, particularly among the American left, is that there was a particular strong um, compromise between socialism and capitalism uh, that created the Nordic model. Um, but that was kind of abundant um, in the 1990s. Uh, by the social democrats themselves, um, and then, furthermore, by the the conservatives when they came in power, hmm. a- adopting a neoliberal uh, model, looking for UK and United States as as um, ideals, and I would say from the 90s and onwards, with the changes that have happened, you have seen particularly people on on the countryside and particularly. Uh, white working class um, to be uh, the losers in that global competitive um, market economy that has developed the last 30 years. Hmm. Um, And then they do the same as they have done in the rest of Europe and in the United States. Um, They blame migrants to be the problem, not the economic elites. If you have a social dem- democracy that kind of given up the, the class struggle and, and embraced neoliberalism since 30 years, uh, you don't suddenly talk about the, the, the class struggle anymore. So today we have a social dem- democracy that is not having much of an ideology anymore. Hmm. They're just keeping their inheritance as being the party that has been dominating Swedish politics, I mean, since the 1930s up until 1976, they were ruling uh, the Swedish state the whole period without any kind of competition. So, I mean, they are inheriting the social democratic image, Hmm. but they don't have the ideology anymore. And in that situation... um, I think the Swedish nationalists um, in the party called the Swedish uh, Swedish Democrats. Yeah, they are able to embrace the idea of of um, of that Swedish community again, with the emphasis on its being Swedish, but not not something for the working class in Sweden, but for for this Swedishness, hmm. the Swedish culture. So they are kind of filling up that empty space, I would say. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, what I think uh, some of uh, our listeners would would be interested in is, uh, you know, in the in the U.S., we sometimes sort of have this view that, uh, uh, you know, here the the working class has been abandoned, uh, you know, by the Democratic Party. Uh, not just ideologically, but also in terms of, uh, you know, the sort of social benefits and, you know, just taking care of people. And so that's left the space open for, you know, really sort of right-wing politics and Trump and so on. Um, But in Sweden, I take it that the social benefits, I know they've been reduced, but but they're still much better than they are here. Uh, so the social democratic 
sort of that that part of the arrangement seems i think i mean you can tell me if i'm wrong but but that part of it seems more robust than it is over here but the far right is still able to capitalize on on this uh, sort of ideological uh, kind of vacuum am i am i characterizing that correctly yeah i would say that fundamentally you you do describe it correctly uh, that's also the way i understand it so, i mean Sweden is still having um, a lot of the benefits, uh, a lot of the welfare system intact, uh, although there has been reductions, hmm. yes. Hmm. So it's not really enough to sort of take care of people in the sense of, you know, I mean, yes, they, uh, you know, the jobs are sort of threatened like they are in, in other places, but people do have healthcare and so on, but that's not that's not enough. Uh, y- you need you need something else that the social democratic sort of arrangement is is not providing. Is is that is that right? Yes. Um, I mean, I think that. Um, People in Sweden are very aware that uh, despite that the economy is going well, despite that uh, the welfare system is existing in many ways, and despite that the unemployment is not as bad as in southern Europe, for example, Mm -hmm. they are very aware that um, it could very quickly change. Um, So I think that there there is a... there's a situation created uh, when um, you have a more um, market competitive environment um, where things are changing towards more market oriented solutions. Like, for example, the Swedish uh, school system is by far um, equal to the American. I would say, according to some of the, the statistics I've seen, it seems to be even more marketized, um, hmm. market ruled in Sweden than, than in the US. Um, if you have that economic situation, at the same time as you have the ideological ve- vacuum, and you have uh, a European, even a global mobilization of the alt-right or the far-right, um, um, I think you have the ingredients. Hmm. But what I would like to add to this that I'm, I'm worried about is that um, in the US, at least, you have um, a resistance. You have a mobilization of people that are upset about the growth of, of um, white supremacists and, and, and uh, neo-fascism. In Sweden, it's very little of that. Hmm. So, in order to kind of highlight what I, what I, much my point here is that what the Nordic model has done is not only to create what Bernie uh, is lifting up, um, free university education, universal healthcare, and all that, which I agree are great. Yeah. But what the Nordic model has also created is like Sweden's um, unions that are organizing some somewhere between 70 and, and 80 percent of the working class 
has gone from being the, the ones doing uh, the highest frequency of strikes in whole Europe 100 years ago in the beginning of this creation of this welfare state, today to be a country where we have among the lowest strike mm. frequencies in, in whole Europe. So I think the Nordic model has also kind of emptied um, the movements, hmm. the resistance, the, um, um, the what historically created the Nordic model that comes from popular movements that uh, in, uh, in, in the religious, free religious movements, the temperance movement, the women's movement, the peace movement, the, the, uh, the workers' movement that created this Nordic model has kind of disappeared um, the last uh, 50, 60 years because of um, how the, the state has kind of monopolized um, politics. Hmm. Hmm. So th that's a really interesting contrast to how we think you know about the the us i mean so so what would you you know so le let's sort of draw this out um mm. what what should we in the us so in addition to you know saying you know as you as you mentioned bernie sort of medicare for all you know free education all of these things so what what caution should we be sort of drawing from or what cautionary lessons should we be drawing from from what has happened in the Nordic model? Well, I think to me, the key one uh, seems to be uh, what you could also draw as a lesson uh, from Indian anti-colonial struggle hmm. and the South African anti-apartheid struggle. Uh, because they all went through the same thing. And, and, and I would argue the key thing and the key problem here is when you have a, a strong movement, in this case, uh, the, the, the unions and, and uh, the, the workers uh, in Sweden, when they have a breakthrough in the 1930s in the parliament, the unions um, and the, the, the workers' organizations, uh, the workers' public schools, the public libraries, uh, all of it uh, became loyal to the party, to the government. Hmm. I think that's the key problem here. It's, it's when you have a vibrant mobilization of a movement out on the street and they have a success. If that would happen in the U.S., that would be a great opportunity if it happened in the, in the U.S., a kind of a Bernie Sanders moment where, where the movement on the street is kind of having an impact with a change of how the Congress looks like. But the danger would be if the movement then becomes loyal to, to that new government, to that new politics, because that's kind of what created the situation in Sweden and I think in India and in, in, in South Africa, which we're seeing now in movements that are frustrated with um, the lack of legitimacy of the Congress party in India, of ANC in South Africa yeah. and in, in Sweden or the Nordic countries of the social Democrats, uh, because they're, they're just machines that are ru uh, ruling. They don't have any ideology anymore. They don't have any visions. Um, because that came from the street, that came from the movement. 
not from the bureaucrats in the party. Hmm. So you need to divide. You need to have a, a movement outside on the street that continues to be a watchdog pressuring uh, the politicians, the, the, the people within the party to, to perform. But the day the movement and the party is the same, you're lost. Hmm. Hmm. Do we have examples of this? Off, That's uh, what I mean, yeah. the, the Congress party in India and the ANC in, in South Africa. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, do we have examples of movements, you know, first pushing parties to, you know, in, in a, oh. uh, yeah, and, and then maintaining their independence? What, what examples come to, to your mind? Well, I, I would I would think about uh, the landless workers in Brazil, the MST. Hmm. Um, so they started already during the dictatorship in the early 80s uh, to uh, be a, a, a strong force occupying land and, and mobilizing the landless poor. So they have always had a, a close relationship to PT, the, um, the party of Lula, yeah. um, of the socialist in Brazil, right? Yeah. So when they came into power, uh, you could you could have thought that the same would have happened. But ANC, uh, sorry, the <laughs> MST was actually uh, increasing and doing a lot more land occupations, trying to keep their independence and the pressure on 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 the government from the outside. Hmm. And now when, when we see the Bolsonaro regime, it doesn't look like uh, the MST or the PT uh, model uh, looked like it was succeeding, but um, I think the model is there that they they um, avoided to merge the party and and the movement outside. Hmm. Hmm. It's it, it's such a hard temptation to to avoid because you know uh, yeah. in some ways yeah as a movement uh, you know if if you if your representatives have state power in in a sense at least in the short term you can really amplify your your capacity by you know by by working with them but what you're saying sure. is over the long term that really sort of uh, uh, kind of just really weakens um the popular sort of uh, ability to then exactly you know, and i think we should remember that that was uh, Lenin's idea with the uh, uh, with the party being in control of the movement that was to weaken the movement and and to keep the control of of the party hmm. uh, of 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 the movement. Um, so I think uh, I think that's that's kind of a that's a pro, uh, so a radical social democracy needs to divorce itself from that leninist idea that the party is in control of the movement hmm. it needs to kind of much more draw if i may um, on the more uh, movement oriented approach from the anarchists that there there is a there is a skepticism in the movement of uh, the party but it doesn't mean that um, that there is no connection but but uh, the movement should continue to be skeptical um, to push for uh, radicalization visions and, and new ways forward um, because otherwise, this will only be the IMF, um, the big corporations, and the economic elites that will put the pressure on on um, the party. Hmm. There won't be a, a left pressure from the street. 
So, you know, bringing this back to to Sweden. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so I I know you said that, um, you know, you're you're concerned that that there isn't the kind of popular mobilization that we've seen uh, in the U.S. And I've also heard this now from people I've talked to in Canada that another country where we sometimes you know, think that, wow, people there are just generally better off than they are in the U.S., but yeah. uh, but but not necessarily in this sense that, no. you know, but yeah. Um, so having said that, like, are there, you know, either, I don't know, uh, uh, immigrant rights groups or, or, you know, unions, or are there sort of uh, places in Sweden that you are seeing sort of this broader kind of consciousness about the need, you know, for for class struggle or for a more militant kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, pushback against the, the far right? Well, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it exists. Uh, you have, um, you have um, migration solidarity groups that are doing uh, resistance against the deportation of migrants, hmm. um, a kind of a sanctuary movement that uh, hide people. Um, and they're also stopping flights from, from leaving with the deported migrants. Hmm. Um, and, and also we have uh, a, a growing... Activism from uh, a youth um, part of the uh, indigenous Sami people in the north. Hmm. Um, and then um, there, there are also other kind of mobilizations that happens uh, in defense of the social welfare system, uh, in environmental issues and so on. But the so the thing is not that it doesn't exist any activism at all. The thing is that it's very short-lived and it's on a small scale. Mm. It doesn't really become sustained, uh, confrontational, transformative in the way that it actually challenged the mainstream discourse uh, in any kind of more mm. um, uh, powerful way in, in the way we have seen before with the workers' movement and, and partly in the 1960s. Um, it it doesn't reach that kind of level, and mm. and it stays quite marginal. Hmm. Hmm. And and you don't see sort of any immediate sort of uh, reasons to think that that's going to change. I mean, it it seems like it's uh, yeah. So there's no uh, there's no engine there to to expect that to change. Is that is that right? Well, uh, I mean, I have my hopes, um, <laughs> and I, I see I see an engine uh, perhaps in what could be called second or third generation of migrants that are getting educated, integrated in society, in professional jobs as journalists or similar uh, authors that 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 are voicing an anti-racist uh, um, uh, politics. Um, I mean, there was a creation of, of a Black Lives Matter in Sweden in, in connection to uh, mm. the uprisings in, in the US. Um, it's just that, um, you know, um, 
it's hard to to see how that can have an impact when we are talking about a far right that is already so big hmm. uh, that the conservatives are opening up for for um, discussing uh, politics together with them. Um, and we are talking about a 30-year trend of the social democrats abandoning their their socialist uh, project and and embracing neoliberalism whatever they are calling it otherwise they are they have been doing that for 30 years hmm. Hmm. um so i think there is um, there is may there is maybe hope for the long run but for the short run um I, I don't think uh, we have reasons to, unfortunately, we, we don't have reasons to have hope when it comes to the Scandinavian countries. Hmm. I mean, I you know, you mentioned the Black Lives Matter uh, sort of um, support uh, movement. Uh, is, is there an issue of sort of police violence in the way that, that we've seen in the U.S.? Does, does that, you know, does that happen in... In the big Swedish cities, yeah, I mean, there's there's sh- surely uh, a, a contentious issue around police uh, racism and, and racist violence against migrant groups, particularly migrant youth, um, in uh, the highly segregated big cities um, in Sweden. Hmm. That's been an issue for a long time. Uh, there's been confrontations um, over the years with riots and uh, so on. Uh, so that, I would say that that's already an issue, hmm. but um, it wouldn't be the the same situation as in the U.S. because the uh, the level of the confrontation uh, and and the level of the police violence is not like in the U.S. It's not like uh, regular shooting of black people. Hmm. Um, it's not happening in that way. Um, it's more violent beatings, uh, injustices, uh, systematic discrimination, and and um, that kind of um, hmm. level. So, uh, but sure, uh, 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 an uprising among migrants. Um, is the most likely reaction to uh, the neo neo Nazis taking power after next election. Hmm. Uh, they would be the ones more likely to react, um, but unfortunately, that's not going to have ma- much of an impact on on the the Swedish white supremacists. Hmm. Um, and j- just uh, you know, for. I mean, even uh, I, I guess I, I'm forgetting this is uh, do Swedish police uh, like just normal on the streets? They don't carry guns, right? Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, they do. OK. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's more um, that it's it's uncommon um, in, in, in some other countries. But in, in Sweden, they, they are armed. OK. OK. So, Stellan, that's uh, a pretty bleak uh, uh, description of uh, uh, you know what's uh, what's going on in Sweden. It sounds like one of those uh, Nordic uh, noir novels that's uh, been so popular over the last few years. Um, what uh, you know? What um, uh, 
what's the source for change uh, in uh, in the future? I think that's the reason why we have the Nordic model. It's because of the strong um, uh, people's movements uh, that created it. Uh, so I think it's possible in the long term to find the hope and find back to that tradition. So it's not like we are people that are born to to love the state. Um, it's it's more it's more like that happened because of of that period. Now we lived through uh, with with the social democratic model. Yeah. So you know, yes, we could talk for another hour, and maybe maybe we 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 should or we will. You know, when when you have the opportunity. Uh, uh, because I don't know anything about that earlier period of resistance and so on as well. Oh yeah, and, no, um, it's it's very interesting how how uh, how actually you could you could find. I'm happy to do that at some point. Yeah, uh, you can find every aspect of the Swedish constitution how that is connected to a, a, a disobedient uh, popular movement that established that right. Every part of the constitution is possible to trace like that historically. This conversation was a timely reminder that social democracy does not by itself produce better outcomes to something like this pandemic. Certainly, most people in Sweden are better off than most people in the U.S. uh, generally and during the pandemic. Uh, And we should note that Sweden's social democratic neighbors have actually fared much better in terms of infection and death rates. Um, Still, uh, Vintagen reminds us of the pitfalls of complacent labor unionism. And I was also struck by his description of the weakness of the Swedish sort of popular response to the rise of their far-right national chauvinist uh, movement. Uh, and indeed, as Vintagen points out, the U.S. may actually be more politically advanced in this respect, uh, as evident in our robust popular protests against the right uh, over the last few years. In the next few episodes, I'll be talking to organizers and experts about their expectations for the new administration in the U.S. Join us in thinking aloud about how our day-to-day work during Corona can cohere into a battle plan for democratic socialism after it 